You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, dear friends. Great to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the fight, in the spiritual fight, and right now, today, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks, going to have a great program today. Uh, Dr. Chris Lorstorfer is going to be with us here in just a moment. He's going to be talking to us about discipleship lessons from the book of Leviticus. Five of them. That's what we listen. We're going through the books of the Bible and we're limiting these experts to five points. Now, if you look at Leviticus, you might be able to do that. You look at some of the other books, you're thinking, I don't know, going to be hard to get it down to five points. Well, we're limiting them to that. So it ought to be a great program today. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So that's what we're going to be doing here in just a moment. Uh, I want to talk to you about a friend of mine. In fact, I, I, I opened up ChristianityToday.com. First thing I see is one of my life heroes named John Perkins. Uh, John Perkins is an African-American here in Jackson, Mississippi, but he's internationally known. He's written probably 20 or 30 books and a very interesting guy. Again, one of my here. In fact, let me tell you about John Perkins a little bit from my perspective. Uh, years ago, I was reading his book. Uh, I believe it was "With Justice for All." Uh, I, it may have been the book "Let Justice Roll Down." Either one of those books are great. I think it was "Let Justice Roll Down," and uh, I was reading it as uh, a guy just finishing up my PhD at the University of Kansas. After I was done with the book, I was—I remember—I was laying in bed with my wife, and as I'm done reading the book. I close it. I look over to Mary and I said, I I will never live in Mississippi ever because I heard about some of what happened to John Perkins in Mississippi. And I thought, no, no, it's a non-starter for me. No way. Now you got to be careful with those kinds of things, y'all. If you're a sold out Christian and you say, I'll never do something, you may end up doing it (laughs) because that's exactly what happened. Probably about three months from that point, we had a U-Haul headed out to Mississippi. And I've been here for the last 33 years. I've been here ever since. Now, having said that, one of the great things that I know about John Perkins is this story. Uh, He talks about 1970 being at Tougaloo College, which uh, we have an old location in the seminary. It's about a mile away from the old location of our school, Wesley Biblical Seminary. It is a traditionally black school. And he says, I was there at Tougaloo College and someone called me up from the sheriff's department, I believe it was of Rankin County, and said, listen, we have some of your boys in our jail here. You need to come get them. So John Perkins gets in his car, and as he goes off of Tougaloo campus, he says, I have no idea what may happen next. He said, I didn't know if I might not get lynched on the way to Rankin County. So he gets in, goes, and Finally makes it to Rankin County. Nothing's happened. He's feeling pretty good about his life so far. He gets out of the vehicle and somebody comes to the doorway of the jail. It was a deputy and said, are you John Perkins? He said, I am. He said, well, then come on in. We got something for you. And he says, well, I know what the something is, is my guys. So he goes in 
to get his disciples out of this jail. He says, the minute I stepped in, the beatings began. They beat me and beat me and beat me. I was, I, I was in a fetal position on the floor and they beat me all night long. At one point, uh, they took a fork and they lifted me up. They jammed that fork up my nose and they jammed it down my throat. And as I lay there in the fetal position on the floor of this jail, I, uh, I looked up in those white faces twisted with hate and I made a deal with God. He said, if you get me out of here, I promise you, I will preach a gospel that will not reach, not only reach my people, but also reach those white faces twisted with hate. And that's what God did. God got him out of there and he's been doing it ever since. Preaching a gospel of reconciliation, preaching a gospel that works in the inner city, just like it works in the suburbs, preaching a gospel that tries to bring people together of tremendous diversity. So that's John Perkins. Now, as, as I'm, uh, I'm telling you that story, when I go to ChristianityToday.com on this day, here is the headline, the lead headline, why John Perkins didn't want more white Christians like Jonathan Edwards. I thought, uh-oh. And this is the subtitle, A Violent and Sinful History Calls for a Clearer Presentation of the Gospel, written by Daniel Silliman. And it says, John Perkins stood up at a planning meeting for a Billy Graham crusade in Jackson, Mississippi in 1975, that five years after that horrible thing in the jail. And it says, the black pastor and civil rights activist was invited to the meeting, along with a group of African-American clergy from the area, because Graham himself had insisted that the evangelistic event would be desegregated. Black and white Mississippians would hear the gospel together. Perkins loved Graham. I loved his powerful gospel message. He was excited to hear that the world's leading evangelist was taking practical steps to end segregation in the church. So he went to the Holiday Inn in Jackson, sat down on the black side of the conference room with all the black pastors and looked over at the white side with all the white pastors. And then he stood up. He asked the white pastors whether their churches were committed to accepting new converts from the crusade into their congregations if the born-again brothers and sisters were black. Now, he didn't think they were ready for that in Mississippi. And if they weren't ready, he didn't know whether he was either. He says, I don't know whether or not I want to participate, Perkins said, in making the same kind of white Christians that we've had in the past. Now, that's kind of provocative, kind of interesting. But what he's thinking of, perhaps, are Christians like Jonathan Edwards. Now, you remember Jonathan Edwards preached that incredible, incredible sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. They say more than any other thing, his pulpit and that sermon created a great revival, a great renewal across this nation. But y'all, did you know that Jonathan Edwards owned slaves? Or maybe... This thing could have read like this. Why John Perkins didn't want more white Christians like George Whitfield. Because Whitfield wrote a tract that said, this slavery stuff is really, really, really bad. But then he was all of a sudden caught up in a conundrum. And it was this. Whoa, I've got an orphanage that I'm trying to make go. And this plantation here is making it go. And this plantation has slaves. George Whitfield 
owned slaves. But not only that, Georgia had outlawed slavery. So now he's going to the Georgia legislature and he is saying to them, you've got to get slavery going in this state so that we can make it economically and so that my orphanage has a shot. And guess what? George Whitfield's pro-slavery message won the day. Now, y'all, I know this is no surprise to you. I'm a white Christian. But I come right out of that whole thing of Jonathan Edwards and, of course, George Whitfield. I'm an evangelical. And so does John Perkins. But there comes a time when it's okay to look at your past and say, Jesus wants us to do better than that. Jesus wants up us to take a stand for an inclusivity whereby our churches one day can be all that they need to be with various races, various incomes, various kinds of people for the glory of God. If that's radical to say, then I tell you what, I don't know the gospel like I thought I knew it, because it shouldn't be radical to have to say that. It shouldn't be radical to say it. That ought to be obvious to everybody who loves Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All right, folks, one of the sponsors for our program today is Wesley Biblical Seminary. Now, folks, I've taught here for 33 years, one of the best seminaries in the world, and a place where you can come and check out the various wonderful things we can offer you. For instance, we have a lay program called the Wesley Institute. We've got an undergraduate program. Yep, we do. We have a college you need to discover. Uh, that's brand new, so a lot of people don't know about it yet, but it's great. Our master's programs, and we even have a doctorate program called a D-Men. Really, we got something for all serious disciples, so check it out, and you can check it out at wbs.edu. That's wbs.edu. All right, I'm excited about the program today, and let me tell you why. I've got a guy on the broadcast today that used to help me out with the old Matt Friedman show. Mm. We used to do that. We did it locally. We did it statewide. And then we did it nationally. And I'd always call up a trusted man in order to take my place when I had to be gone. That trusted man was Chris Lorstorfer. Dr. Lorstorfer, welcome to the life-changing discipleship program today. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. Now, Help me recall. Did you actually help me out when it was local? Uh, no, I think uh, I think it was more uh, nationally. By the time I started helping, oh yeah, so you yeah. Didn't, we just went right to the. Top. You didn't do the chicken feed local and statewide uh, stuff. I go all the way to the top. Yeah, well, too bad people can't be calling in today with whoever, whatever they've got. You know that that was exciting. Just get a call. You never knew what was on the other end. Now, when we were doing the national nationwide thing, you went up to the headquarters, uh, American Family Radio, right? And you were traipsing through the building one day, and someone recognized your voice. Yes, uh, uh, the big guy himself, Tim, Tim Wildman. Tim Wildman, yeah. He said, I know that voice. And that happened to me multiple times, uh, uh, multiple times where people would uh, come across me and they'd say, I know your voice. <laughs> so I don't know what it is about it, but but uh, something distinct. Yeah, it just wait, bothers wait. him so much. You I did a great know. job. Thank you. And I, you've I been a dear it. friend here at the seminary. And for a number of reasons, I frequently tell people, man, Chris Lorsorfer saved me at this seminary and gave oh, me wide open opportunities. So thank you for doing that. Hey, yeah. All right. Life-changing discipleship is what we're all about. And Chris, what we're doing here as a series, and I, I, I don't know, I'm going to try to make it through all 66 books of the Bible, hmm. but we just started it out and here we are at Leviticus. Mm. Now, this is so, a challenge. Yeah. But I think it can be done. We need to know 
what Leviticus has to teach us about discipleship. And Chris, what we've been doing is giving every expert in here five points. So it's an executive summary of five points. You don't get seven, you don't get three, you get five. All I right. Got them. Yeah. Oh, you got them ready to go. I got them. Yeah. All right, good. So this isn't off the top of your head. You've been thinking about no, this. No, I, I thought about it a couple of days. All right. So you come to us from the perspective of a professor of theology. Yeah. And a local church pastor. Correct. Now, you've been at this church how long now? Uh, this church, 25 years. 25. Yeah, just getting years. started. That, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, one day your church burned down. Uh, yeah, 2001. And you kind of yeah. always consider that a, a time when we sort of got a new beginning. Yeah, it was the uh, best thing ever happened to us, actually. God You're... caught the church on fire, not the building. Somebody else did that. But mm. God caught the church on fire during that time. That's an awesome story. Okay, yeah. let's get back to Leviticus. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So five teaching points for discipleship from Leviticus. Point number one. Uh, number one, of course, Leviticus is about the law in a big sense. You know what I mean? In the overarching sense, it, we're still talking about the law, right? So... Um, the first thing I noticed when I just read through the book, I, and I read it every time, just like uh, one setting, the law itself never claimed to save anybody. But here's what it said. Walk with me. Hmm. That's what the law was about. Go back to Exodus for a second, 19. That's the chapter before the Ten Commandments. And he says, I rescued you. I, I pulled you up with eagle's wings out of Egypt. So he wasn't saying... Keep, the, keep these commandments and I will redeem you. He says, I've redeemed you. You're mine. I, I brought you to myself. Now, walk with me. Hmm. And in Exodus 19, which I realize is not in, in Leviticus, but I'll get to that. In Exodus 19, he says something very interesting in the calling to Israel. He says, you will be a, you'll be a special uh, possession to me, even though all the earth is mine. He's not telling them that they're the only people that belong to him. He's saying, you will be a distinct people who belong to me if you keep my statute. So here we are in Leviticus, and he's giving us again a rundown of the law. And in fact, I think it's chapter um, chapter uh, 19. He almost does the, ten, does the Ten Commandments just right straight again. But here's the thing. That law, he never says, this is how you're saved. This is what it means to be, you know, a Christian or whatever. He says, walk with me. The first thing I would say about being a disciple of Jesus is he calls us to walk with him. I'm reminded of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the call of Matthew. You know, Matthew hears Jesus say, uh, follow me, and he gets up simply for the sake of the call because Jesus said so. Here is the God of the universe, the Holy One of Israel saying, follow me. Mm. And that's the first thing that discipleship is about, following Walking with God. So one of our friends here at Wesley Biblical Seminary says that that word walk is one of the quintessential terms for discipleship in both the Old and the New Testament. Correct. Yeah, it's just important. Yeah. So when you're talking about walking with someone, yeah. it's pretty serious, and it basically means what they're doing, I'm going to be doing. Right. You're, if you're walking with someone, you're going in the same direction, uh, with the same vision, the same mission, you're together in that sense. And so... Isn't it, isn't it crazy that the God of the universe would call us to walk with him? Hmm. It, it, there's no necessity in that. There's no reason why he would. He just calls us. So when you're making disciples, same yeah. thing. You're trying to get someone to yeah. walk with you as you walk with Christ. Yeah, that's right. It's, it, is a, it is a double action there because you're not leaving them on their own to walk with Jesus. The reason they need to be discipled by a person is 
they need somebody next to them. So yeah, walk with me as I walk with Jesus. All right, with, with Dr. Chris Lorstor for today, he teaches theology at Wesley Biblical Seminary, and we're talking about discipleship lessons from Leviticus point number two. Okay, the law, I'm still on the big picture of the law. The law was about holy living. It's not just about keeping random random uh, 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 laws, but instead it is about holy living. And let me just point out something to you. In, in chapter 10 of Leviticus, let me pull it up here. Chapter 10 of Leviticus, God makes this statement. It happens at the end of really a disciplinary action on Aaron's sons. God said this, I will show my holiness to those who are near me, and I will reveal my glory before all people. Now, he reveals his glory before all people, but he shows his holiness to those who are near him. That's mm. that's interesting. And then, of course, in chapter 19, as he gives the law, and you and again, it's not just random things God's saying. Um, here's what he says. Uh, Be holy because I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. Each one of you is to respect his mother and father. You're to keep my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh, your God. Do not turn to idols or make cast. That's where you're talking about the almost, almost Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments reiterated. And then there's there's more, but he goes through the Ten Commandments, almost reiterated. Why? Why can't, why are we not to lie? Because God is truth. Why do we respect our parents? That's a reflection of who he is. The law is a reflection of who God is and the promise of who he will make us. Mm. So that's the, that's that, that's that issue. Uh, th- th- that is about the law. It's not God just saying, I want you to do this because I said so. God is saying, I'm holy, therefore you be holy. And he doesn't leave that out there, not showing us what it means. He says, let me tell you what that means. Mm. It means respecting your parents. It means not lying to people. It, in in fact, um, you know, in chapter 19 there, verse 18, it means love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that that's what he comes down to. Uh, the two the two tablets of the law, the first four commands are in the first one, and the last uh, six are on the second one, technically speaking. The first one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one, your neighbor is yourself. Jesus and Paul both said, all the law hangs on this. If you'll just love God and love your neighbor, you'll keep the law. Wow. So, so that means that there's more to the law than just obeying God. It's about being who God is in that sense. A couple of interesting things about this point, and I don't want to step on the rest of your program, no, so yeah, if yeah. I do it, you can stop me. But these are exceedingly behavioral things. Yeah. So it's not a conversion of thought in Leviticus. Right. It's I need to convert your actions, Correct. basically. Correct. And your affections, basically. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, this is about life. Discipleship is not about believing a fact. It's about living the fact. Mm. And that that's what this is about. There's a good bit of the evangelical community that need to be converted to that oh, point boy. right there. Oh boy. It's not a, a, a thought. It's, it's not a philosophy. A, it's a doing. Yeah. It's a behavior. It's a, you got to work it out. And that's what James, see, I think that's what James is talking about when he uses the word faith, not philosophy, because philosophical faith says, oh yeah, I, could, I would trust God for that. But real faith is actually trusting God for something. Not that we're against theology or philosophy. No, 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 I no. I mean, no. you're a professor of, of these exactly. things. Exactly. But if I see you in need and I can meet that need and I say, I'll pray for you, that's not faith. Do you, uh, there are 613 laws in the Torah, right? In the, yeah. in the first five books of the Bible. So you, you say, okay, you just said something profound. The law is a picture of who God is and a promise of what we can become. That's a whole different way of looking at these laws. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's not random. It's not. Uh, it's not just legalism. This is about. This is about walking in the life of God and allowing Him to transform you, which All is right. a big part of the promise. That's discipleship point number two. Number yeah. three is number three. Looking at the priesthood uh, in Leviticus, because he does develop quite a bit of the priesthood. I'm reminded there that Israel was called, as well as the church was called, to be a kingdom of priests. So I think what happened was Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests, and they became a kingdom with priests. The church is meant to be a kingdom of priests, but we hire priests. Mm. You know, And there, therein lies the problem with trying to talk to people about discipleship. This is not about professional ministry versus a layperson. This is about all Christians taking up the 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 ministry of Jesus and becoming a kingdom of priests. Mm. And I see that while there is a priesthood and obviously even in the church there's leaders what I would call professional ministry that's there but they're there to lead the church in its ministry not to do the ministry. When I first went to my church 25 years ago first board meeting where they were talking about me taking up the pastorate I said one thing out of Ephesians chapter 4 you don't hire me to do your ministry. You hire me to lead you in your ministry, but it is your ministry. Wow. And so I've kept that, and that's been the lifeblood of the church. I think that's how people grow. They have to have ministry involvement of some level. To Which grow. is a great thing to keep in mind with making disciples as well, because Absolutely. what I'm trying, if, if you're my disciple, Chris, I'm trying to get you to recognize your spiritual gift and use it in some profound way. That's one of the key dynamics of my disciple making is right. getting you to realize I'm a priest. I'm part of the priesthood of believers. I need to go do something here. Correct. So when you look at John Wesley, uh, which is my area of expertise, John Wesley's concept of discipleship was you get people involved in the means of grace. That is the works of piety. They need to be in the Bible. They need to be uh, in, in prayer. They need to be in worship. Yes, but they also need to be involved in the works of mercy, which would be ministry. Uh, he said body or soul. So buying somebody a pair of shoes because they have none is, is a work of mercy. Uh, feeding the hungry, work of mercy. Leading somebody spiritually to the Lord, work of mercy. Any of those really work for this. But to be a disciple, you have to be involved in both of those. Because he said you can't go forward, let alone stay where you are spiritually unless you're doing those. To me, that's the perfect uh, formula for making disciples. Get somebody involved in the means of grace and ministry, they will grow. Mm. What about the, the disciple says, you know, I'm into that prayer thing. I'm into the worship thing. I'm into the Bible study thing, but I'm going to leave that social action <clears throat> jazzmatazz for somebody else. I'm going to leave that compassionate ministry thing for some other person because I'm a conservative. <laughs> Yeah, we'll let the liberals talk about love. Yes. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Well, I mean, not all the time, but we right. too often do. That's what we Think say. They, that's what they do. We do this. Yeah. I've literally heard people say that. I'm going to let the liberals talk about love and social gospel stuff. I'm going to talk about, you know, whatever. So, yeah, that's we, crazy. Well, we put them together. Yeah, the, absolutely. The, the, the Christian, the disciple, the disciple maker puts them together. Absolutely. I mean, how, how do you look at the Bible and not see love your neighbor as yourself? All right. Leviticus yeah. point number four. Okay. Number four. <clears throat> Um, looking at the offerings, because he does, he does detail offerings. God makes a way for us to come to him. He, he, the interesting thing is, and this goes to my making of disciples. I think the church often sits back and says, well, if they were serious, they would come. But 
God makes a way for us to come, he, it, which is an involvement. Liturgy, the word liturgy means work of the people. And I think we've gotten it wrong. I think it, I think it's all philosophical. And we look at somebody and say, well, if they wouldn't have come to God, they would come. Yeah, but God has made a way for people to participate and come to him. And I think that's what we have to do is involve people in the kind of thing that would bring them to Christ. So I had a lady say to me one day, I've got this, uh, I've got this lady that uh, I want to I try to win to Christ, but I want you to come and do it. You know, oh boy. So I go and meet this lady. She tells me right off. I hope you're not like those other preachers that tried to make me pray the prayer. So I knew right away, this woman's been burned by our evangelism, you know. So here's what I said. No, here's what I want to offer you guys. Why don't you come together every Monday night? It was a Monday night. She had time. I said, why don't you come together every Monday night and just start reading the book of John together and just see who Jesus is. Just meet him along the path. No pressure. And I think that's the key. I think we we expect people to just jump into this thing when, in fact, God made a way for us to come to him. Those offerings, if you think about those offerings, God's not standing back saying, you know, you're cut off. He's saying, come to me. He made a way in Jesus, number one. A lost person doesn't have to clean themselves up. Jesus came for the unclean. He came for those who are sick, not for those who are well. He's made a way. But also, he's made a liturgical way, so to speak. So, I wouldn't say evangelism is just inviting someone to church. That's not evangelism. However, I would say bringing people to Christ involves inviting them to church. Mm. You know, get them involved in some things. Jesus has made a way, technically, but he's also made a way for them to get to know him. That's why Wesley says, my, my, um, my advice to anyone trying to win somebody is, get that person involved in the means of grace. That, that work of being in a Bible study, of, of being in worship, of, of learning to pray, that's the way to come to him. All right, okay, Chris Warstorfer, and we're looking at Leviticus, and that is discipleship tips, points, precepts from Leviticus. And so number five from Leviticus, discipleship point. Yep, this is my, this is my crown on this. Chapter eight and nine of Leviticus Moses brings Aaron and his sons into the work. And I said, when I read that, I said, bring others with you. Mm. So when I first became a Christian, I wanted to be a disciple of Jesus. And I even had a guy disciple me, a, a, an evangelist who was in my town. We spent a lot of time. He was, he was, and my first, my first emphasis was be a disciple, but immediately God brought these people into my life, a youth group that uh, had no leader. And they said, who's, who's going to lead these, who's going to lead these guys? They were all 17, 18 year olds. Even one guy who was like 21 was still in that youth group. He was actually older than me. And I said, I'll do it. And I find this principle throughout the scripture. Don't just be a disciple, be a discipler. And I think we're so we're so self-centered sometimes. You know, this is about me and Jesus. My focus is me and Jesus, and I don't think that's biblical. Mm. Bring others with you. Moses could have just focused on his connection, but God said, bring them with you. So three questions I, I always <clears throat> want to be asking myself is, Matt, who is discipling you? Who are you discipling? And then because I want this to be an 
extra generational thing. Who are your disciples discipling? Mm -hmm. Right. And those are three great questions. Yeah. Who's pouring into your life right. so that you might be learning as a disciple? Right. Who are you pouring your life into? And your disciples, they need to be making disciples. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I go back to Leroy Imes, that book, um, uh, Lost Art of Disciple Making. I yeah. think you introduced that to me 30 years ago. Great book. Yeah. Um, to So the call is, when you look at the call, it's not really be a disciple. It's be a discipler of disciplers. Mm -hmm. And that it's been fascinating to me to see that happen, to have people that I've discipled and invested in to see them start doing it. It's it's very to me. How do you know when you stop discipling somebody? It's when you start helping them disciple others. That's when you start taking maybe not full hands off, but you begin to back away. Mm. Uh, it's like a you know like when you're raising teenagers. The older they get, the more responsibility you give them as they stand on their own two feet. You don't want to stop them from moving forward in their own responsibility because that really causes chaos there. And, uh, but, but you begin to give them more responsibility and eventually boom, they're, they're on their own. And with discipleship that occurs as they're discipling others, you have to give them training and targets. I always say, so train them to disciple others, but then, and sometimes you have to actually help them find the people. Hey, let me introduce you to this guy. Yeah. And you have to put him in their hands. Sometimes. That's a good word. Yeah. Well, let me just say on that, uh, at Wesley Biblical Seminary, we've got a great way to make disciples. It's called 5Q Discipleship. And if you want to check that out, first off, you can come to Wesley Biblical Seminary. You can be in a discipleship group with me. Love to take you through that program. But it won't be long before we're asking you to go get some disciples. That's right. And if you want to read about it, there's a book out right now, brand new book, 5Q Method of Discipleship, which uh, they can get at Amazon.com. But I want to ask you about your books, Chris Lorstorfer. Yeah. And you've got a couple of them out there right now that are really selling like hotcakes. But one of them is this breathing book. I want learning you to, tell to breathe. It. Okay. It's yeah. learning to breathe. And you can go to the same place, amazon.com yeah. or teleospress.com. Tell us about learning to breathe. Learning to breathe, John Wesley's concept of spiritual respiration. Wesley had this very, I think it's a very practical way of understanding spiritual life. Basically, you breathe in God's grace and you breathe out God's grace. He said, anytime you stop either way of that, you know, that's when you begin to choke and, and trip. And so to keep your life uh, active, spiritual active, every day you try to breathe in God's grace through the means of grace. And then you breathe out God's grace through love and praise and serving others. Mm. So it's this, it's this practical, practical use of, of means of grace and ministry uh, for spiritual life and growth. Learning so by what you said today was, you'd be saying, I breathe in the works of piety, I breathe out the works of mercy. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly right. Beautiful way to think about your life. It's it's easy, but it's it's practical. All right. Yeah. Is Leviticus a book worth reading? Oh, yeah. it's It actually doesn't take very long. It's, what, 27 chapters, but it flows really, really easy. It's not a lot of story to it, a little bit, and, and it's a lot of commands. But if you look at it, there's some beautiful stuff in there. And if you look at it thinking this thought, it takes some real—if uh, you're going to study every one of those laws with this thought, it's going to take a while. But nonetheless, every one of them little laws is a picture of who God is and a promise of what you can become. That's correct. And, and it's an invitation to walk with Him. And sometimes it's th they're kind of weird laws. Some of them are, yeah. But you look at that and say, hmm— what might that mean? How's that a picture of God? 
How's that a promise for my life? Excellent. Hey, Chris Lorsdorfer, love you, man. Appreciate you being on the program today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, it's a wrap. It's been an honor to have you listening to Life-Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedemann. Hey, check out our Facebook page, Life-Changing Discipleship. And remember, we told you about some books today, and you can find those books at Amazon.com or TeleosPress.com. Always, always tell others about our podcast. Remember, my wife thanks you, my daughter thanks you, my sons and their wives thank you, and I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life-Changing Discipleship today. Love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon. Music.